Amen. Thank you, Jeannie. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open to Nehemiah chapter 1. We are going to get there eventually this morning. We started last week, and uh, the Lord showed up in our midst, and we got, I think, through point one of three that I had, so no guarantees we're going to finish the next two this morning. We'll see uh, what God does. Um, by the way, if you're looking for some teenagers, a lot of our teenagers are down helping with the, with the preschoolers this morning. Aren't you glad? So uh, I am too. I am too. So Nehemiah chapter 1, we started last week looking at this, uh, this book of the Bible. And over the next series of weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah, studying who Nehemiah is, an incredible leader, an incredible visionary, uh, a guy who God actually called to... Uh, to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had been torn down. The temple had been rebuilt, but the walls were torn down. And so God shows up on the scene in Nehemiah chapter 1, and Nehemiah discovers, kind of like Ashley was sharing, he's going to get an assignment he doesn't know if he's equipped to carry out or not. But he gets word from the friends that show up in those first four verses of chapter 1. He overhears them talking, and he comes up and he has a conversation with them, and he discovers by asking some questions that the walls are still torn down and the people are barely surviving. And we're going to pick up that story this morning in just a little bit. Um, we said last week the, the, the cupbearers, and Nehemiah was a cupbearer, we find that out at the end of chapter 1, had a very special relationship with the king because the cupbearer was the one who tested anything that the king would eat or drink. And so it was almost like, no, you try it first. You ever been to a restaurant and you got something questionable? And you looked at your spouse and said, honey, you try it first. If you survive, then I'll taste it. That's kind of what the cupbearer did for the king. It's so a very, very important responsibility. And uh, we started last week talking about uh, sometimes all the messes in our world, kind of wondering, okay, how does God fit? How does he step into this mess before the miracle? And the first point was this. We have to see things with a godly perspective. And Nehemiah did, because he was aware. He asked questions of these friends, these brothers. And he said, what's going on? And they said, the walls of Jerusalem are down. The remnant is still there. And they said, but the people are in great distress and reproach. It's having an awareness of what God is doing in the world. You know, our, our students just cut back from a winter conference. And one of the neat things about getting away sometimes is how God will make you aware of different things and give you a new perspective. And Hannah's going to come up and share a little bit about the perspective God gave her and what God taught her this past weekend. So come up and, and share with us this morning. Hello. So um, I assume that all of y'all know the story of Joseph and how he was the favorite son and his brothers hated that. And they threw him in a well, took his jacket, he sold him into slavery, and he ended up in the Pharaoh's house and stuff. And so he went through a lot of change and hardship in his life. And one of my favorite points from last weekend was when change and hardships come, shift your mindset from what is happening to you to what God is doing through you. And that just really helped me a lot. And thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. And that's actually fitting because that's actually what happened to Nehemiah. Things changed, and so he had to change his perspective and open up his mind to having a godly perspective. So let's pick up the story. We're going to jump in at Nehemiah chapter 1. We kind of got to verse 3 last week, so we'll pick up with verse 4. He's had this conversation with the people who have come back and told him, hey, the walls are down, the remnant is there, they barely survived. And Nehemiah has an interesting response. In verse 4 it says this, It came about when I heard these words, 
that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven and I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I'm praying before thee now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel. Thy servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel which we have sinned against thee, and I am a father's house of sin. We've acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept thy commandments, nor thy statutes, nor the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Verse 8, he says, Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them... Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to places where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Verse 10, And they are thy servants and thy people, whom thou didst redeem by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thy ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servants successful today. Grant him compassion before this man. He's talking about the king. And then he says, by the way, I was the cupbearer to the king. A great story. So when we see the mess that's in our world, and I got to tell you, as a parent, little older kids than preschool age, I have a, a daughter who will graduate from college, Lord willing, in May. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I have a freshman and in the college, so... Forgive my wife and I didn't time, do the timing too well. We had two in college at the same time. I'm just telling you, when that one graduates, so oh, financial freedom, it's, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> but as a dad who has kids that age, even though they're older, I still look at some of the things that are going on in our world, and if I'm honest, and I always am with you, uh, it can cause stress because you look at the chaos. And you look at the chaos in Nehemiah's world with friends of his that are that are in a city that's unfortified because the walls are down. That's why it's a big deal for the walls that have not been rebuilt. It's because the city is unfortified. Anybody can come in and attack the city. And you say, what does that have to do with us in 2020 in Greer or Greenville or Simpsonville or Malden, South Carolina? What does that have to do with us? Spiritually speaking, we live in a world where it looks like sometimes that the church is built... And everything is maybe okay, but the reality is we live in a world as believers and followers of Jesus where the walls are down. The walls of protection, the walls of holiness, the walls of godliness. And so Nehemiah, God comes to Nehemiah and begins to give him a little bit of a perspective on what's happening. And Nehemiah has to make a decision. And so you see one of the decisions that he makes is he immediately goes to God. So it brings to mind the second question I would propose to, you, propose to you. Will you surrender your pride for a grander purpose? You know, I, I see a lot, just like you do, in social media and in our world, and I look at all the mess going in the world, and I see some of the debates on social media and Facebook, and I see the arguments. Can I just humbly tell you, that's not a place to win an argument. You will never win an argument on social media. As a matter of fact, I believe personal opinion, that perhaps we might push away people away from the faith and away from the things of God because sometimes our, our mantra and our method of communication is so abrupt and so in your face that there's no relationship. 
You see, if I come into the office tomorrow and he pulls me aside and gets in my face about some particular thing that I've done, I'm going to receive it from him because we have a relationship. I've known him a long time. I know he loves me. I know he cares about me. If I blast that out on social media to people who don't know me, what's their response going to be? And I think that's very true even in this story with Nehemiah. There was a remnant there that needed help. And so Nehemiah is thinking, God, what should my response be? What, what is your purpose? What's going on here? Let's get a proper perspective and figure out what our purpose should be. And so his response is, the Bible says in verse 4 that he sits down and he begins to weep and he begins to mourn. He begins to develop a burden for people. Can I ask a question this morning of you and me? Do we have a burden for people? Are we sometimes so comfortable in our bubble that we forget that the mess in the world is, is there? It is messy. As a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt, an uncle, a, an influencer of children, an influencer of the next generation, you look at what's going on. It is mass chaos on a, on a large scale. I mean, you flip through the channel on the t TV at night, and sometimes, you know, I'm just like, okay, let's go to Looney Tunes because it would be the same thing. And it's chaos and confusion, and so we have to have this proper perspective, and that perspective is wrapped up in understanding what is the purpose of God. And Nehemiah began to ask that question, saying, okay, God, what, what is the purpose here? What, why did you allow me to see this? I remember I've shared this story with you before. I remember the first time I got on that plane to go to the Dominican Republic. And I saw some of those young girls who were 10, 11 years old being lured in the streets for human trafficking. And I saw the mess. And I could have responded a number of different ways, as I had done in the past. Many times I would just say, oh God, look at that, look at that. Somebody should do something. Oh my, 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 look at that. Somebody should do something. But when I got on that plane, I felt like the Lord said to me, you are that somebody. I think that's what happened with Nehemiah here. He began to pray and understand the purposes of God. And as he began to pray, God took his burden and burdened his heart in such a way that it actually turned into action. I'm going to submit to you from all of these cases in the Bible that you and I could read. We don't have time to cite them all today. That any time God truly gives you a burden for something, it will turn into action. Otherwise, it's just talk. And Nehemiah here begins to act, what does he do? Well, he, he does something that sometimes we do as a last resort. He begins to pray. That's his first plan of action. He begins to fast and pray, the Bible says. And it says he did it for a season. It says actually in verse 4, it says he did this for uh, before the God of heaven. It says he sat down and wept and mourned for days. And if you study in the rest of the book, which we're going to do over the next several weeks, you'll find out that it was for four months he prayed and he wept before the Lord. That's quite a burden. That's quite a burden. You know, there have been many times God has moved on my heart, and if I'm honest with you, a week will pass by or maybe two weeks, and it kind of drifts off and it's forgotten. But those burdens that are truly from God will not go away. They are relentless. And if you and I could catch a, a burden for people, like Nehemiah caught a burden for people, it would be relentless. If we truly understood that people without Jesus, people who live in Simpsonville, Malden, Greenville, Greer, all these surrounding areas and around the world that live in figuratively unfortified cities 
Because the walls of protection of the Holy Spirit are not around their heart because they've never surrendered their lives to Jesus. If we could ever catch a burden for that, our lives would never be the same because we would act accordingly. And Nehemiah begins to start praying here. Fasting and praying, and he prays an interesting prayer. He says, O Lord, I beseech thee, great and awesome God of heaven. And he begins to cry out to God, and he, and he begins to just ask God to do some things. And it's interesting, the very first thing that he asks God to do after telling God how awesome he is, is he begins to confess his sin and the sins of the people. You know, as I was reading this this week, I, I, I wrote down something, you know, the root problem... The root issue of mankind, the root issue of any mess that you see on any newscast that you're flipping through, the root issue is a sin issue. The root issue of churches not growing, of reaching their community, is a sin issue. It's not really that they don't have a pastor. It's not really that they're not organized. It's not really that they don't have financial resources. Those may be secondary and maybe third, fourth, fifth level issues. But the real issue is the sin problem that I have and the sin problem that you have. That really is the root problem. And so Nehemiah goes to God and he starts crying out for these people and he starts saying, God, let your ears be attentive and your eyes hear my prayer in verse 6. He says, I'm confessing the sins of the sons of Israel and I and my father's house have sinned. He focused his burden on seeing the great need of the people, but he focused his burden on starting with, what, what's my problem? Let's start with me. Because before I can go help rebuild the walls of a city, perhaps I need to take a look at myself. Wow. What a great reminder. What a great reminder. He began to pray this prayer to God, and as he prayed this prayer to God, God began to reveal some things to him. I guess as he's praying, he says some interesting things. Even in verse 8, he says, Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses. He's going back and asking God, kind of reminding him of something that God said. As a parent, this has happened to me many times. It's happened to you. I remember when we promised our kids that we would get them a puppy. You, you will get you a puppy after both of you are on the honor roll, and after you've done this, and after you've cleaned your room. And, and we gave them a laundry list thinking, there's no way. There's no way. And one by one, they just started doing that. And then they came back and they... You remember what you said? You, you know, you've heard that as a parent. I remember what you... Buddy, they will remember that forever. I mean, they, it's the kind of thing that they write down. That's kind of what Nehemiah does here. He comes back in his prayer and he says, By the way, God, remember, in verse 8, remember what you told Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Go back and read it. And he actually quotes some of it. He's reminding him of this covenant that Moses had with the people. That though they wandered in with sin, if they came back and they repented, which is a real spiritual word we use in the church sometimes, which basically means we're going this way, we're walking away from God, and when we repent, we actually turn around and we start walking towards God. I've heard people give their testimony before and they'll say, you know, I was, I was uh, walking away from God and he turned my life around 360 degrees, and I'm thinking... You were walking away from God, and he turned your life around 360 degrees. And <laughs> Sorry, sorry, it's the ADD. I know what they mean. Yeah. Repenting is turning back to God, turning your heart back to God. 
And Nehemiah is reminding God in verse 8 of the promise that he had made to Moses. He's reminding himself, perhaps, as well, of the purpose of God. You know, I have to remind myself often of the purpose of God because living in what I still think is one of the best countries, if not the best on the face of the planet, sometimes we can get consumed in trying to pursue this American dream, and God did not save you and I to pursue the American dream. He saved you and I so that we can further His purpose. And as we study over the next few weeks and we understand who Nehemiah was and the position that he had for him to follow through on what God had called him to do was a very sacrificial thing. We'll discover that as we read. So focusing on what really is the purpose of God, he, he counted it just like Paul says in one of his letters to one of his churches. He counted it all as loss. Man, I'm going to do what God's called me to do because this is the purpose that is at stake, this grand purpose. I'm going to lay aside my agenda. You say, well, what kind of was his agenda? He tells us he's a cupbearer to the king. And I've mentioned a little bit about what that's like, but even studying again this week, they, they have found early documents that would suggest someone who was a cupbearer to the king in this time, which is around 540 or so years before Jesus, before Christ, Somebody in that position probably had high prestige. They probably were wearing fancy clothes. They probably had a, a royal accommodations there in the palace. Even some documents suggest that they would actually have the signet of the king, which meant that they could stamp pieces of paper and actually speak on behalf of the king. That they would wear his ring, and almost when they would stamp a piece of paper, it would be as if the king himself had said that. That's who Nehemiah is. And yet, because of this opportunity he has, his perspective has changed. He's been reminded of what God's purpose is. He begins to think, wow, maybe there's something more important that God has me to do than just being a cupbearer to the king. Some of us are in great positions God's given us. Maybe in our workplace, maybe we're high up in our company or whatever the status might be of our accomplishment or achievement. You know, I remember my kids when they were growing up, I would ask them oftentimes, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? And just like your kids, you know, you would hear some incredible things. You would hear, you know, my son, I want to be a race car driver. You know, and I'm thinking, man, I hope you go all the way to NASCAR because otherwise you, well, you're not going to be making much of a living trying that. If you can get to that level. You know, I want to be a baseball player. I want to do this. I remember asking one of a... One of the young kids in the Dominican Republic a few months ago who lives there, he's a Dominican young guy, he's probably 16, 17, I said, Brian, what do you want to be when you grow up? And for some reason, the thing down there they want to do right now is architecture. For some reason, I don't know. They all, you ask them, they always say architect, architect. So I said, what do you want to be? He said, I want to be an architect. I said, well, Brian, what do you think God wants you to be? He was like, hmm, a missionary. I said, hmm, so what do you think? He goes, well, I cannot be a missionary. I said, why can you not be a missionary? He said, because I'm not, pointing at me, he said, because I'm not white and I'm not an American. I said, you don't have to be white or be an American to be a missionary. He goes, oh, then I will be a missionary. <laughs> I thought, be whatever God has called you to be. 
There is a foreign concept. I would even suggest to you, maybe even, especially if you're a parent here, you might want to catch this, maybe an unbiblical concept that we teach. It's a North American concept that we equate with the Bible when we tell people, you can be whatever you want to be. I know what we mean by that, but it's not biblical. You can be whatever God has called you to be. Because it's, when you discover what God's called you to be, that's when you will discover your greatest purpose. And you'll be happy and content and have joy in your life when you discover what God's called you. I know what we mean when we say it, but it's, it's almost like if I took a hammer from my toolbox at home and I took it to a little workshop class at Home Depot and I sat it on the little counter there and they began to tell us, here's some things that you can do with hammers. And the guy at Home Depot was nailing into the wall and I'm holding my hammer up and I'm going, ooh, watch, watch. Look, you're going to grow up one day and you're going to be able to do that right there. And then I, it's, I know it's a dumb illustration. And then I go back and I put that in my toolbox, but the hammer never does what the hammer was created to do. Wow. Nehemiah is beginning to understand this and say, okay, God, what is this grand purpose that you have for me? Maybe it's not just to be a cupbearer to the king, or maybe it's you've placed me in this position to do something else that you've called me to do. The next question he asks, I believe, is this. Will you seek strength from a greater power? He illustrates that because he's even praying and calling on God to intervene. For the people and for him. Calling on God for the power. He, he says in the last verse. Verses 5, 6, 7 through 11. Or his prayer. But in the last verse he says again. O Lord I beseech thee. May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere your name. And then he says this. Make thy servant successful today. He's asking for God to give him the power that he needs. To be successful and to be Fruitful and God has that power. I was watching a show on TV this week, and this little boy goes out and runs out to his dad. I don't know where the mom's out for the for the day. She's working on a trip or something. He comes running out, and the dad kind of bends down in the hallway and says, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" He says, "I'm so scared, Dad. I'm scared, Dad." And he says, "What are you scared?" He goes, "I'm scared because of the monsters. The monsters. I'm scared." His dad says, son, there's no monsters. He goes, yes, there are. There are monsters. They're under my bed. So the dad goes in there. Of course, he looks under the bed, and you see him, you know, and he's doing his hand under it. He says, son, there's no monsters. Well, they must be in the closet. They went to the closet, dad. So the dad opens the closet, and he's trying to just, to, just to get his son not to be so frantic. Can you, you remember those days? Well, I remember those well. And he finally asks his son this question. He says to his son, he says, son, do you think dad could beat those monsters up? And his son goes, oh yeah, dad, I know you could. I know you could beat those monsters. He said, well, I'm right out here in the hallway. Do you think a monster can get through me to get to your room? And his son goes, no way, dad, no way, dad. He goes, well, you go in there and lay down and go to sleep because I'm going to stand right. I said, okay, okay. He jumps in the bed. And I'm watching that on television. And I just hit pause and I'm like, wow, what an illustration. Because just like the children sung about earlier, we get scared of all the chaos and the mess in the world, and we forget there is one who has all the power. I want to play a little game with you. You say the opposite of what I say. Okay, you ready? You ready? On. Off. Left. Right. Top. Off. God. No. 
That's what we think sometimes. We think Satan is the polar opposite of God, except he's just bad and God's good. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is omniscient, all-powerful, holy, omnipresent. That's not Satan. Satan can only be in one place at one time. Now, he has a legion of angels that fell from heaven called demons, and they do his work. But we cannot equate the God of the universe with Satan and think that this, if they got in the ring and battled it out, it would be this great battle. No, it, it won't be. Jesus wins. He's all-powerful. And so when Nehemiah calls out to God and he's praying to God, he knows where the power is. Our world has convinced us a little bit that they're just, God and Satan are just on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're, they're in the same ring, and they're kind of, man, it's going to be a good fight, like Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed. It's going to be awesome. No, 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 not a chance. God's much bigger than Rocky, and he can actually speak clearer than Rocky, too, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> I never could understand what Rocky Balboa said in half the movies. I was just like, he must be saying something cool because people are getting riled up, but I can't understand it. We have a great power, and he tells us in this Verse 11, he has a, we have a great power. Maybe he's reminding himself that though he is the cupbearer of the king, that the power that he needs comes from God. And it's interesting because if God answers his prayer, and we're going to discover that God does, but the prayer that he's praying, he's asking God, give him success, give him, give him camaraderie when he goes in to tell the king what's going on and ask his permission, we'll find out, to go rebuild the walls. He's asking for God to do that. Do you know that he's actually asking God for the king to reverse a previous decision that he has already made? Because in Ezra chapter 4, this, this attempt to rebuild the walls has happened before. Remember, I mentioned this last week. And the governors from different provinces began to make fun of the people trying to rebuild the wall and taunt them. And they finally said, the king said, leave it alone, forget it. It's causing too much chaos and confusion, come back home. We're not going to rebuild the wall. That was his declaration in the book of Ezra. And so now Nehemiah is actually praying, God, would you change the mind of the king? You think God can do that? I do. I'm praying that for our leaders of our country, of our state, of our city. God, please change their mind. We can get out, we can politic, we can protest, we can do signs, we can do all those kinds of things that we want to do. But men and women, until God touches the heart of elected officials and rulers in our country and our world, nothing's going to change. And Nehemiah understands that. He goes to a higher power. I'll close with this this morning. One of our great missionaries that you may know of or heard of before, Corey Ten Boom, shared this story when she came back from serving as one of our missionaries. She came back and she had been serving for many years, various places, and she came back and, and they began to interview her and ask her all these questions. They said, you are so faithful to God and you served and you told people about Jesus everywhere you went and, and, and you're older now and aren't you tired I mean, aren't you just worn out? I mean, did you ever get to a point where you were, you were praying for strength? And her response blew me away when I was reading this biography about her recently because her response was this. She said, well, I never really used any of my strength. Wow. 
God has all the strength that we need. Maybe you find yourself today, as Crossroads family or your guest, you find yourself today looking at all the chaos, maybe not just in the world, maybe there's chaos in your own life. My prayer for you this morning is that God would help you change your perspective. And maybe for the first time you would discover, maybe this morning you would discover for the first time the reason God made you is to have a relationship with him. That is your purpose and my purpose. To have a relationship with the king of the world. And the awesome thing is once that relationship begins, it's not like we, we come to know Jesus and we ask him to guide us and take control of our life and become our boss and our ruler. It's not like he goes, okay, have fun. And he leaves. No, the power of the Holy Spirit comes within us. Jesus literally comes, his spirit comes to live within us. To empower us every day. That's where the power comes from. And the good thing is those batteries never run out of energy. Better than Duracell. Sometimes they wane. And if they wane, it's because of our lack of communion and communication and conversation with Jesus. So if you find yourself here today and you'd say, wow, you know, I, I, I need to know that power that Nehemiah was claiming and grasping for, then I hope in just a minute we're going to have a time of what we call invitation. And, and it's, we just call it invitation because that's what it is. We're inviting you. God's actually inviting you maybe to come make that decision of surrender is the word I like to use. Because a commitment is something I control the purse strings on. I think even in this story of Nehemiah, it wasn't a commitment. Nehemiah just finally said, okay, I surrender. God, what are you, what are, what are you trying to do here? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm all in. And, and as a guy who tried to live for many years with one foot in the Christian world and one foot doing what I wanted, it was a miserable existence because I felt like a wishbone. But when I finally said, okay, God, I'm surrendering everything, I'm all in, that's when God started to go, okay, here we go, here we go. Can you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for these friends in this room. Lord, I thank you for, this, for the gift of Nehemiah. I look forward to having several years just chatting with him in heaven, asking a lot of questions. Lord, I pray right now in the midst of this wonderful group of friends, Lord, if there's anyone here today that would say they don't really know their purpose, God, I pray that you'd speak to their heart even in this moment and let them know that the power to live in this crazy world that we're in, comes from you. And while you're praying, I'm just going to give you a moment right where you're seated. Ask you just to do business with the God and just lift your heart to him. If you find yourself here this morning and you just say, Jack, wow, I, I, I really need to know what my purpose is. I'm, I'm hearing that it's in Jesus this morning and I need to know more about that this morning. I need to surrender to him to allow him to, to work out his plan in my life. If that describes what your heart would say this morning, would you just lift up your hand where you are so I can pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. If you just say that, that describes me. I need to know what my purpose is. Amen. Anybody else? Show me your purpose, Lord. Lord, show me the power that comes from you. Father, I pray for these friends that were honest with you. Lord, would you speak to their hearts? Lord, thank you that when we confess our sins, like Nehemiah was doing on behalf of the people, 
that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and that you've paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. And because you paid that debt that you didn't know, and I owed a debt I couldn't pay, as the song says, I needed someone to wash my sins away, and you did it, Jesus, so thank you. Thank you, thank you. Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand in just a minute, and Joey's going to lead us in this song. If you need to come down front and pray this morning, uh, if you're visiting at Crossroads, this is an open space for you. If you need to pray, you're welcome to do that. If you need to uh, confess something on your heart to the Lord, if you want to talk with me, or I'm going to ask Heath, my friend Heath, to stand up here as well, then you just do business with God this morning. We love you, and we're glad that you're here. So let's stand together and let's sing.